With 17 autonomous regions and one that's perpetually seeking independence, hola Catalonia, it's safe to say that Spain isn't the most united country in the European Union. Which government you adhere to and which traditions you follow all depend on which region you call home. Ditto for which language you speak. Do you know that the country is home to seven variations of Spanish? But for a country that's so fractured, there is one thing that everyone seems to agree on. More tax dollars, please. And with Spain's 2020 tax control plan, it looks like all 17 regions have determined the best way to get mucho dinero is through mucho transfer pricing. Hello everyone, I'm Matthew DeMello, your host of The Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And if you haven't figured it out already, today we'll be discussing the ins and outs of transfer pricing in Spain. And by we, I mean myself, Fiona, that's our AI transfer pricing genius, it is her show after all, and Millie diaz Colodrero, a transfer pricing manager, and as we like to say, know-it-all, in Cross-Border Solutions Argentinian office. Welcome, Millie. Thanks so much for joining us today. A quick reminder, you can earn a CPE credit by listening to this podcast. Here's how it works. We're planting three CPE code words in our script. Send all three to The Fiona Show. That's one word. The Fiona Show at xbs.ai and we'll reply with your certificate. It's that easy. Now, before we jump in, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. It's no secret that the coronavirus has affected, well, wait, what hasn't it affected? The virus has taken its toll on respiratory systems, healthcare systems, educational systems. It's even changed the way we interact. And it hasn't done global transfer pricing any favors either. In fact, the OECD has asked multinational companies and trade associations to comment in a questionnaire on how their transfer pricing has taken a hit. Many multinationals have absorbed significant losses and with a lack of comparable third-party pricing data, transfer pricing promises to be a challenge. Even through the pandemic, OECD guidelines should prove helpful, but the organization may be able to provide more tools to increase tax certainty and mitigate the risk of disputes. To shine a light on what's needed, the COVID-19 questionnaire asks respondents to list the five coronavirus-related transfer pricing issues that most keep them up at night. Since third-party data for 2020 may be hard to come by, the form also asks for feedback on what sources could be used for comparability analyses. The deadline to respond was June 17th. Comments will lead to further discussions and hopefully solutions because from what we hear, revenue agencies will be scrutinizing losses. M&Es with transfer pricing structures that limit risk and income, tax authorities will be giving you some special attention. Transfer pricing regulations are popping up like unwanted internet ads, constantly and sometimes where you'd least expect them. Case in point, on June 10th, the Maldives issued regulations on what they want in terms of transfer pricing documentation. And let's just say the Inland Revenue Authority probably didn't shock anyone with this mandate. The master file must include an overview of the entity's group, the group's global business operations, its transfer pricing policies, and its global allocation of income and activity. The local file has to include the information about an entity's business and surprise its related party transactions. Not so revolutionizing, but still worth keeping an eye on. 
As if the coronavirus pandemic wasn't making things hard enough, tax authorities are piling on. While multinational companies well know they deal with scrutiny over losses and a dearth of benchmarks, now we hear you will also have to contend with close-ups on intercompany loans, especially those with high interest rates. It's kind of a no-brainer. After all, intercompany loans help bolster cash positions in hard times, and higher interest rates mean higher tax deductions. Of course, tax authorities will be watching our point document your transactions well and be prepared to defend them chances are you'll have to A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross-Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai rd. That's xbs.ai rd. Millie, where are you based and what's happening in terms of the COVID-19 quarantine where you are? So I am based in Argentina, in Rosario. I actually live out of the city, in the suburbs. And right now we are under mandatory lockdown. We started on March, mid-March, I'd say. And since then, we've been under this lockdown Everything is closed pretty much. Schools, bar, restaurants. Most of the companies are working from home except for those which are classified as essential activities. We have now entered into this new phase in which we can go out for meetings in private places with up to 10 invitees. And we can go, of course, to the grocery. We can do some shopping in small places. And of course, well, we can go to the pharmacy and stuff and we can go out to do some exercise, walk around, but we can travel within the country. We, we can leave our state or province, let's say, and we can travel outside of the country either. And that is and will be up to September of this year. Right. And uh, refresh me, were the, all those things that had been taken away right from the get-go of the initial lockdown? Correct, yes. 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's crazy. Uh, I know that that's more or less where the United States is at. And, and then just kind of contemplating opening up entire state of economies at this point, which I think we're on schedule to do. Let's even go back farther in time uh, to the beginning of your career. How did you get into transfer pricing? So actually I started my career specifically in transfer pricing back at PwC. I finished my college. I got my college degree on 2013. And I two months later, I got into PwC and I started working as a junior analyst in the transfer pricing department here in Argentina. And since then, I've been working on transfer pricing in my career, though, I, I, you know, I started as a junior analyst and then I became a senior analyst, later on a manager, and I had the chance to do a couple of secondments. I went to the New York office for a couple of months and then I also stayed, I did a secondment in Madrid, Spain for six months, which, you know, from my career, I think those were two of the most important experience as a professional, as a transfer pricing professional or consultant. And I think, you know, I've learned most of the things from working with my colleagues and having excellent partners and excellent senior managers or directors that have taught me a lot and pretty much everything I know. Um, and then, well, as you might know, I shined cross-border solutions. So pretty much all my professional career was and is about transfer pricing. That's all, all I know, right, I would say. From the get-go. So, yeah. so did you find something very interesting and vital about it from the get-go that kind of kept you through? Well, when I started, I found it very interesting. My degree is in economics and finance. And I then also got like a master's degree in finance. But I, I found transfer pricing to be interesting and like changing all the time and with BEPS and Action 13, every single country is taking its own direction. So that made me realize how how different things might be from one country to the other. And I also had the opportunity to work within transfer pricing specifically for or for financial transactions and financial services clients. And given my background, of course, that that made my path in transfer pricing a lot more interesting, even because I really like, you know, the finance world and everything related to that. So I think everything that has happened in my career has proven to me that transfer pricing is just more than tax and it has a lot of, of interesting things within itself. And of course, the fact that I like economics and the fact that I like finance has also made this more than interesting to me and has made me realize that this is what I wanted to do, at least for, you know, for these, these years that so far it's been like more than seven years working on transfer pricing. Right, right. And you mentioned BEPS Action 13, but I, I think we've seen the bulk of the aftermath play out through your career. How have you seen transfer pricing change in a way you find most noticeable over the years? When I started with transfer pricing, I think the first thing I did was I read the OECD recommendations and then instantaneously I got my first clients and they were from the US. So it was like, okay, so I read these 
huge and large book and now I have to change everything because the U.S. has its own way. And so that was my first like shock, right? Like the first thing I had to do. And after working for clients or clients mainly based in the U.S., I realized then that all the countries in the world have their own particular regulations, requirements, recommendations. And so I started to dig in into other countries, Canada, some countries in Latin America, like Peru, Argentina, of course, Chile, Brazil, which is completely different from any other. And so I think that was like the first thing. And then, of course, with the PEPs and all these efforts, we got into this new time in which most of the clients around the world are looking into getting their own recommendations for transfer pricing and are actually taking into account transfer pricing. Before BAPS, it was just a number of countries. And right now, more than 130 countries have its own recommendations or requirements in terms of transfer pricing. So I think I started because I, as I said, I went from OECD to the US, but then I realized every single country has its particular things or specific things, right? And then I also got some clients from Asia and that was like a whole new world to me because I I remember working with clients from Singapore and clients from China and they were, as I said, completely different in terms of not only the consulting that we were providing, but also in terms of compliance and documentation and what they were looking for. So yes, I think, you know, it was pretty much learning from the scratch. When it comes to transfer racing, every country has its own requirements, its own regulations, recommendations, best practices, and, and things alike. Amen to that. Let's hone in on Spain, a member of the OECD. Maybe the best way to ask the question of OECD guidelines is to make it a relationship. What is the relationship between Spain's transfer pricing now and the OECD guidelines as they've been rolled out for the last five or so years? The corporate income tax law and, and also the corporate income tax regulations in Spain explicitly state that the Spanish TV regulations must be interpreted in accordance with the OECD guidelines. So I would say most of Spanish country-specific regulations are based in the OECD guidelines. There's no much... Um, space for Spanish tax payers to to change this, right? They have to follow that. And what's more, they well, Spain was one of the first countries that adopted the recommendations under Action 13, under BEPS Action 13 for transfer pricing documentation. So it's basically there are no change, changes in the formatting of the documentation. They follow all the recommendations in terms of the local file, master file, and also country-by-country country notification and report, even not only for, for international transactions, but also for domestic intercompany transactions. So it's pretty much Spain reflects the OECD recommendations in their own country-based regulations for transfer pricing. Right, right. And tell us about Spain's documentation requirements, both from 2016 up to today. So in terms of documentation, as I said, Spain adopted the BEPS Action 13. So all multinational enterprises with intercompany transactions has starting on January 2016, they have to present a local file 
a master file and also the country by country notification and report. Of course, they do have uh, materiality thresholds. And so for, for the local file, all the intercompany transactions carried out with the same counterparty are below 250,000 euros. Those are exempt of the obligation of presenting the local file. And if these intercompany transactions are with counterparties within the same consolidated tax group within Spain, they are not required to present the local file either. When it comes to the master file, the threshold is 45 million euros. So groups with a net income below this target are exempt from preparing the master file. And then when it comes to the country by country report, notification and report both, groups with a consolidated revenue for, for the previous fiscal year below 750 million euros are not required to present the notification or the report for country by country. Right. And Spain also has some special requirements for tax havens. Is that right? Correct. Yes. I think it was in 2017 they introduced the Form 232, which is an informative statement clarifying the related party transactions and all transactions and situations with countries or territories classified as tax havens which is not exclusively for, for intercompany, but any type of transactions, right? Spain, they have a blacklist of countries that qualify as tax heaven, and it's a dynamic list. I think they have around 48 countries within that list. Among these countries, we have like Hong Kong, Luxembourg, Panama, Bermuda, Singapore. So, and as I said, it's a dynamic list and permits the exclusion of countries that have double tax treaties with Spain, in place with Spain. So with this form, the 232, they have to file it every year in November for those companies with fiscal year end in December 31st. And they have to present all their intercompany transactions, as I said, and it's used normally as base to prepare their transfer-breaking documentation afterwards. Because in these reports, it gets very granular. You have to provide a lot of information, pretty much well, all the, of course, intercompany transactions or transactions with related parties, and also transactions and situations with the tax havens. And then as part of the information, you have to include the amount, the type of the transaction, the valuation method, which is the payer and which is the payee and things alike. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You 
know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp. That's xbs.ai slash tp. Does Spain prefer certain transfer pricing methodologies? Not really. Maybe, so maybe this is different from other countries uh, following OECD regulations. But in Spain, under local regulations, all the proposed methods, the cap, cost, blast, resale price, profit split, TNMM, all of them have the same preferential level, actually. In practice, the selection of the method should be based on the economic nature of the intercompany transactions and also, of course, the availability of information and the comparability analysis. And also Spain, on top of these methods, which are the you know traditional methods, well, they have other methods that they would accept and they would apply if are more useful to test the transaction in place. Right. And what about benchmarking? Well, in terms of benchmarking, there's nothing in particular actually to say. It's not like for other countries, Italy or Germany, they they accept regional comparables. Of course, local Spanish comps are preferable when they are available, but if not, in general terms, they would accept regional comparables from Western Europe or even Europe in general. They consider multiple year data, three years, and tax authorities prefer public data, so they use the interquartal range based on the Excel quartile so that they can check the results. And on top of that, in Spain, they accept um, the roll forward. There's no requirement to conduct a fresh benchmark every year. Once you have a fresh benchmark done one year, then you can roll forward for the next two or three years, and that would be accepted. So on the surface here, it looks like a very fairly easygoing Western European jurisdiction. I think this is where we might get into a bit more of a characteristic approach, or, or things at least get trickier from here. And I'm going to interrupt here for our first CPE code word, and that code word is cuisine, as in don't go to Spain without trying its wonderful cuisine. Turning back to our conversation... How likely is a transfer pricing audit? Oh, well, this is actually strange because, as you said, there's nothing in particular with Spain that would make TAP or transfer pricing compliance to look complicated. But probably against common knowledge, the likelihood that transfer pricing will be reviewed as part of an audit is quite high in Spain, especially when the taxpayer has incurred insignificant intercompany transactions for that fiscal year. Um, and then what's even more is the likelihood of the method selected being challenged is also high in Spain. So when your method is not accepted by the tax authorities, then an adjustment could and will normally take place too. And just interrupting quickly to ask Fiona, Fiona in Spain's tax control plan 2020, Spanish tax authorities scrutinize seven key areas. Which areas will they be focused on? It's quite a list, Matt. The Spanish tax authorities will be focused on seven key areas. Corporate restructuring, valuation of intra-group transfer of assets, especially intangibles, deductions that could erode the tax base, payment of royalties or intra-group services, activities carried out by entities covered by functional structures, characterized as low-risk where entities have significant economic presence, manufacturing and distribution. 
NBSP, new digital taxes, financial transactions, and finally, the attribution of profits to permanent establishments. And it's time for one more CPE code word. That word is sunflower, as in Spain's countryside has fields of sunflowers. And back to our conversation, the Spanish tax authorities want to implement a new automated risk analysis system. What does that look like? So this new automated transfer pricing risk analysis um, will be implemented based on a full set of information available on related party transactions. This includes not only main sources from OECD or BEPS recommendations, could be country by country reporting, unilateral agreements, automatic exchanges of information, but also will include other sources such as simultaneous audits, prior APAs or advanced price agreements, mutual agreements procedures or MAPs, and the increasing specialization of the administration in international tax matters. This is like one of the one of the sides of this new automated risks analysis system. Then there's something else to add to this that is related to the international cooperation, which is the DAC6, this new directive, which is basically a result of the European Union directive from 2011. Based on DAC6, any intermediary, any consultant or advisor must report certain structures defining the annex of the directive so that the European Union tax administrations will have more and better information for this type of structures. And so these two measures, basically the DAC6 plus the other sources of information are jointly part of this new risk analysis system. And just to interrupt to ask Fiona very quickly, Fiona, what can you tell us about Spain's position in terms of tax transparency? In an EU competitive council vote in November, 14 states, including Spain, voted in favor of public country by country reporting. So, it's safe to assume that Spain is committed to tax transparency. That That's everyone's worst nightmare, all of these countries working together. But in an EU competitive council vote in November, 14 states, including Spain, voted in favor of public country-by-country country reporting. Is that an indication of where Spain stands on tax transparency? Yes, absolutely. As Spain actually is part of this group of countries trying to have as many public information as possible on the taxpayers, which shows basically which is or where Spain's hand when it comes to information from the taxpayers. From prior experience, as I said, I worked for several months in Spain with local taxpayers and some huge clients. And the tax audits and you know the tax authorities might get aggressive and are super granular when it comes to checking transfer pricing and I have not and I have no doubt that they will use all the information available to assess and better analyze the transfer pricing compliance from the big taxpayers in Spain. Right. In Spain, like the rest of the world, is addressing the challenges of the digital economy and passed a bill in February for a digital tax. Can you tell us a little bit about that? In general terms, Spain's proposed digital services tax would affect all digital companies, not only those which are categorized as digital companies, but also those with digital business models. The 
general characteristics of the tax proposed is that the bill would be a 3% tax on the provision of any digital services, including digital advertising, services consisting in multi-sided digital interfaces, or even the transmission of data collected about users that have been generated activities on digital interfaces. What they are trying to target are companies that operate globally and have a significant digital footprint in Spain. From these proposed digital services hacks, they are trying to look for two thresholds to be satisfied. One of them is the net turnover for these companies has to exceed 750 million euros globally, not only in Spain. And the second one is the total revenues of digital services within Spain has to be more than 3 million euros. And so this draft of the digital services tax resembles to the proposed European directives as well as digital services tax measures in France and Italy. And this would be Spain's second attempt to get this digital services tax. They actually had a previous one in January of 2019, last year. This is, of course, viewed only as a transitional measure because the European Union is also trying to get a consensus for taxation of digital services within the OECD and also the C20 countries. Right, right. And recently, the U.S. opened an investigation to see if a digital services tax in various countries, including Spain, were targeting the U.S. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Right. So in the U.S., the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative initiated an investigation into digital services taxes proposed or adopted in a lot of countries like Austria, Brazil, Central Republic, and well, many others, Spain included. And the main concern is that these digital services tax regimes in these countries, they might target US-based technology companies. So the US trade rep will focus on whether the taxes discriminate against US companies and also unreasonable tax policies. In December 2019, the U.S. trade representative's decision with regards to France digital services was that the tax was in fact discriminatory against U.S.-based technology companies. With respect to unreasonable tax policy, um, they noted that the digital services taxes may diverge from norms reflected in the U.S. and also in international tax systems by being extraterritorial and taxing revenue and not income, and also penalizing tech companies for commercial success. So as of now, what we know is that the OECD is working with a lot of well, more than 100 countries to reach an agreement on an update for the international tax rules related to digital services tax regimes. So is the impression here by U.S. companies that the threshold so high anyway that only U.S. companies are making that much, and then, therefore, it seems like some form of targeting? I know. I think it's because, first, this, the digital companies, it's, it's tough to determine which is the jurisdiction they belong to. And so Spain or any other country 
just by setting as they might have series all over the world by doing that they are basically they are setting taxation or these parameters not only for Spain but for the other jurisdictions as well so I think the well what I found is probably the main issue is related to that specifically and then of course a lot of the biggest tech comps are based in the U.S. Amazon would be like is actually the largest company in the world in, ter- in terms of market price and capitalization. So I think that is also why the U.S. feels with these digital services tax regimes, um, they could be threatening U.S. companies against any other comp. And our final CPE code word, that word is beaches, as in Spain is home to beautiful beaches. And back to our conversation, any general advice for clients who are conducting transfer pricing in Spain? Based on my experience, I think that having documentation in place, contemporaneous documentation in place in Spain is very important to avoid any TP adjustments. Um, As I said, the tax authorities are aggressive when it comes to audits and are also very granular in most cases when it comes to, of course, taxpayers with significant or material intercompany transactions. But in the new context of the 2020 tax plan control, with all the measures they are taking into account, I would recommend and suggest, and this is actually what I do with my clients, to keep contemporaneous documentation in place and to have a strong TP local file in terms of not only the economic analysis, but also functional analysis and assessment of functions, risks, and assets so that they can have a good selection of the method and as such a bulletproof documentation to basically face any tax audit. That, I think, summarizes things very well. You know, understand your far the relationship between that and the methodology. Make sure that's in your documentation and make sure you have documentation. If you have operations in Spain, you can't you just can't go without. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. But I think that brings us to the close of at least the interview portion of our show. Right now, we have my favorite segment, which we call What We Want to Know. And that's a rapid fire round of questions we have for our transfer pricing expert guest. And today, that's you. Are you ready, Millie? I'm ready. Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) What's a mistake you see multinational companies making over and over again? Probably having standard TP policies for every single country, 
trying to keep these policies aligned without taking into consideration the different regulations and requirements in the different tax jurisdictions. I think they it is complicated, but all the clients, they, they need to face that the countries are different and they have different regulations and requirements. And as such, they might have to adjust their TP policy based upon these requirements. Right. Complete this sentence. If I weren't a transfer pricing rock star, a BA enter dream job. Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, I'd probably be I I'd probably be an influencer. Instagram. Mm, okay. Okay. I like it. I like it. It's a tough gig now with all this staying indoors, but uh, yeah. But I'm sure there are ways to spice that up. How do you handle your shit hit the fan moments? Ooh, uh, have to say, well, I, I love to read and I'm very into yoga these days. Meditation is something I do. Like I started a month ago, but I, I love to meditate. Yeah. Between eight, 12 minutes every day. Yeah. Uh, those are my better days when I can, when I can work that in. My, uh, my, my, <laughs> uh, fiance is a big fan of, uh, yoga with Adrian, which has exploded in COVID-19. Um, yeah. on that note, what has been a surprising upside of the stay at home orders for you? I I'm actually enjoying this working from home. Uh, it's a new thing because I've always worked from an office with all my colleagues and teammates um, nearby. But I think uh, I get to enjoy a lot of, um, well, a lot of time, a lot of uh, my days with my dog, which I love. And also I get to do a lot of things that I normally don't do, like cooking or just cleaning or doing laundry and things like that oh yeah if i can if i can work through the backlog of stuff that needs to get done it's a blessing <laughs> and in that very small way in that one corner of the world yeah oh COVID has been a blessing in that regard um but people define success in many ways what's your definition well i think i would call myself successful if i get to do what I like and be happy at the same time, um, which is not always easy. So I think, you know, having the dream job um, and being happy and, you know, just having a good balance between work and personal life, family, friends, and just time, some self time. I think that reaching that point, I think that is successful. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to find, uh, you know, your successful balance with everything else since things are kind of on this timeout mode with all things COVID. I think there's a lot of time to reflect and, uh, and find the right way to strike that balance. But Millie, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. That's a wrap for us. Thanks again so much for everyone listening at home. Don't let this be the last you hear on transfer pricing. Subscribe to The Fiona Show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and we'll fill you in on transfer pricing discoveries every week. I'm Matthew DeMello. I host, edit, and engineer this podcast. Mary Lynn Mitchum-Strom is our executive producer, and she writes our scripts. That's all we've got for you today, but we'll have more for 
for you next week. So for now, as they say in Spain, adios. Adios.